everybody, uh, or good afternoon, or good, good evening, wherever you may be. Uh, welcome to the IEEE PELS podcast series, another one of our um, uh, podcasts uh, from the series that we've started in summer earlier this year. Uh, today's podcast is very interesting, uh, entitled Toolkit, How to Transition from Academia to Industry, a conversation with Pradeep Shenoy. Uh, Pradeep, hi, how are you doing today, Pradeep? Hi, Sheldon. I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here with you. Good. Thanks for being on the show. Um, with me, uh, of course, is my co-host, uh, Dr. Arijit Banerjee. Hi, Arijit. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sheldon. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. And of course, in the background, just to make sure that nothing goes wrong, we do have uh, Megan uh, Chahoki, who basically will keep us uh, uh, in control. Uh, so she has everything in, under control in the background. So. Uh, so just a little bit about our guest today. Uh, Pradeep uh, basically uh, received his bachelor's degree in electrical engineering from the Illinois Institute of Technology in 2007 and the master's and PhD degrees, uh, that's his graduate studies, uh, from the University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign, obviously in 2010 and 2012. Um, since then, he has been inclined towards industry uh, right after his grad studies. So. He uh, interned uh, initially with Caterpillar, uh, the electric power division in 2005, and with Texas Instruments uh, and Applications R&D Lab in 2011. Um, he joined Texas Instruments' Kilby Labs in 2012 as a full-time employee. Um, since then, of course, he has progressed uh, quite a bit in his, uh, in his career as an industry specialist. Uh, he received the uh, TI Award, uh, uh, that is the, uh, the prestigious Jack Kilby Award in 2015. Uh, he's also very active in the Power Electronics Society, as you would imagine. He has served in roles uh, such as Associate Editor for the Transactions uh, on Power Electronics. He's an ADCOM member at large. Uh, he's been twice elected as an as a ADCOM member at large. He is student liaison, young professionals chair the industry advisory board member, chapter chair, and regional chair in his capacity. And most recently, in fact, he was the, the winner of the Richard Bass Outstanding Young Professional Award, Young Engineer Award, which is uh, highly prestigious within the Power Electronics Society, as you would imagine. So for the year 2020, he was the award winner. So uh, really, uh, that's a terrific resume. Pradeep, thanks for being on the show. Oh, thanks, Sheldon. My, my pleasure to be here with you. And uh, I mean, you and I, you, you know, we go way back. Um, when I was an right. undergraduate student <laughs> at the university, sorry, at the Illinois Institute of Technology uh, in Chicago, yep. you were a grad student in the research lab where I was an undergrad learning the basics of bioelectronics. So, I mean, this is a lot of fun That's being right. on this podcast with you. That's right. Perfect. Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for the shout out there. Yes, we did an uh, IPRO with our final year capstone project together. So I was your instructor uh, and uh, we did an electrification of a bus, if I'm not mistaken. What was it? Right. Uh, 2004, five, six, uh, something like that. In that, in that range, yes. Yeah. So that's how a few far years we go ago. back. Absolutely. A pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah. Okay, so let's get the show started. Here's how it goes. Uh, the, the theme of the show, obviously, uh, you know, you being such a successful industrial professional after having gone through grad studies, you know, uh, through academia, 
um, and of course, in the best of the universities that the, the world has to offer in Illinois Tech and Illinois also. So uh, my first question would be, you know, just tell us a little bit about yourself. How were your early years like? You know, what, what got you most interested in engineering in general? Uh, and specifically, you know, since, since it's power electronics and most of us want to know from you, what really uh, intrigued your mind in terms of the power electronics bit? Why did you decide to pursue grad studies in this family? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So, um, you know, in, in my family growing up in my early years, um, I was not actually surrounded by much in terms of engineering. My dad's a physician, my mom's a nurse, and so um, I didn't really have that much uh, exposure to it. Although my older brother, he, um, he ended up getting a degree in civil engineering and um, he's a couple years uh, older than me. And so, um, you know, when I was in like, high school age and I enjoyed math and science, probably like a lot of other people, you know, mm -hmm. um, one, one of the things that was recommended was hey, you should pursue uh, engineering or check it out. So when mm -hmm. I went to um, undergrad, <clears throat> I, I, I started with the undeclared engineering major. So that basically uh -huh. meant at Illinois Tech, they put you in the mechanical materials and aerospace engineering department. Uh -huh. And during your intro to engineering class, you know, you shoot rockets off and you do fun things like that. Oh, um, yeah. Yep. Uh, they done that. So I, I didn't do the usual, uh, you know, build a little robot like most electrical engineering students, I think, start out with. Um, I, I later on ended up TAing that, that intro to electrical engineering class later on in undergrad, and that was a lot of fun. So I think I got that experience. But it wasn't until um, probably my second or third, third year probably at Illinois Tech when uh -huh. I met uh, someone who you know as well, Sanjika Wirasinga, or Sanj, yes. as we like to say. Yes. Um, he, did, he happened to be my... Um, uh, resident advisor for the dorm floor that I was on. And I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I just was talking with him one day saying, Hey, I want to get more hands-on experience. You know, these uh, right. circuits labs are fun and all, but I want to yeah. get my hands-on experience. And so he's like, yeah, sure. You should come and uh, talk to um, the professor who's in charge of our research lab, Dr. Ali Amadi, and uh, see if you can join. And I did. And uh, they put me to work pretty quickly. Um, mostly, I've just soldered a bunch of stuff for a couple of years in the lab is what I remember doing. Um, right. No, but uh, I, I did get exposed to a lot of the really cool work that was going on in, in the team there. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, Pradeep, uh, let me ask a follow-up question on this. Uh, when did you decide that industry was for you and not academic research? What got you attracted towards industry? Uh, so that's a good good question. So um, when I was, you know, doing power electronics uh, and getting exposed first at, at Illinois Tech and then, uh, you know, later deciding to do a, a PhD at University of Illinois, um, I, I really... I, Honestly, at that time, the, the, the motivating factor was I wanted to become a professor. Um, and so, uh, you know, for several years, uh, I thought I was going to be a professor after I graduated. And I, you know, definitely enjoy working in an academic environment, you know, doing uh, research and, and exploring new ideas and things like that. Um, but I think there was a couple things that kind of influenced me towards industry. Um, I mean, first of all, 
uh, I had an, an internship at Texas Instruments the, about a year before I graduated. And that certainly gave me a taste of what uh, working in industry would, would, would look like. Um, I had a really good experience. The, the people at, at TI and the group that I worked in were, were great. Um, I think also just as um, I think a continual theme for me in, in my life has been really wanting to get uh, hands-on and really kind of uh, know the details of something. And I think as you guys know fairly well, power electronics is pretty hands-on. I mean, we're actually um, building hardware, testing it, demonstrating the results of what, what we're doing. So, um, I mean, you definitely do that to an extent in academia, but you have to do it, I think, even more so in industry because, you know, in academia, you can kind of uh, propose some new idea and, and validate it. And all it really has to be is better in maybe one aspect. You know, it could be worse than a bunch of others. It could cost more. It could uh, be bigger maybe, but it has maybe some higher performance that you're looking for in something, and, and that's all good. Um, whereas in, in industry, you kind of are, are always trying to get uh, everything to be better whenever you're making an advancement and not, not making as many sacrifices. And um, you just have a lot of practical considerations. You know, you think about um, maybe electromagnetic interference, EMI, and how is that going to come into play with this, this system or, you know, just different things like that. Um, so I, I think that's what really attracted me towards industry is um, really seeing the, the fruits of these labors. I mean, I, I think having that, that um, mindset of really trying to uh, advance the field that uh, an academic background gives you, I think it's really good in industry because it gives you kind of that aggressive, like trying to kind of beat the competition, uh, you know, do better than anything that's been done before. And I think that that really serves, serves us well. Um, but I think that's, that's what helped uh, decide for me. I mean, I think it also helped that I got uh, a couple different offers uh, for places to work after uh, I was graduating and there's a lot of great options. Um, and I think even today there's a lot of great options for people that are wanting to join industry, a lot of really cool companies, a lot of really cool, you know, national labs or, or other organizations that are doing some really interesting things. So it's, it's a great time to be uh, working. That's super exciting to hear, Pradeep. Uh, let me ask one more follow-up question since we are already talking about your experience here at Illinois as well as in IIT. So you work with Phil Krein for your PhD topic, and I still I still read your paper on Ripple Port, and um, that's a fascinating paper to read. Uh, let me ask you about the experience you had both at Illinois, uh, I mean, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, as well as uh, Illinois Institute of Technology. How, how did it, how did the environment shape you to become a matured engineer? As you are saying, it, it is about maturity, about understanding the field, about understanding the different aspects of research, not just focus on one particular direction of, okay, I keep increasing efficiency or one or the other, or I look at some trade-off, but it's a systems game. How did uh, these universities prepare you for that onward journey? Uh yeah, so when I was um, in undergrad at, at Illinois Institute of Technology, I think um, one of the projects that we worked on when I was there um, was making a formula hybrid race car. At least it was intended to be a formula hybrid race car uh, where we were supposed to have a working internal combustion engine and, you know, uh, electric machine, batteries, all that good stuff. And I think that was one of the projects where I first really got to see kind of like that holistic system level, 
activity, like you were saying, it's, um, I think it's, it, it, it was, uh, enlightening because it, it, when we actually were, were at the competition, this, this, uh, student competition, we only ran our car off of batteries and it was just only all electric because we were not able to, um, get our engine to work properly. I think it was, or it wasn't, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what the problem was, but I, I just remember, um, I think it was mostly electrical engineers trying to figure out uh, some of the mechanical stuff and it didn't work out so well. Um, you know, but we, we made do with, with the, uh, with the batteries and whatever charge that they could, they could hold and they got as far as far as they could on the endurance test. Um, and I, I think um, that helped kind of launch me into my graduate career. I remember when I was a grad student, one of the first times I presented research at a conference, um, I think it was APEC. And I remember being in front of a bunch of people from industry and I was super excited about the research that I was presenting. I was like, this is going to get so much better transient response if you do this. And then one of the first questions that came up was, Hey, uh, you know, the inductor you use there, it's like three orders of magnitude larger than anything we'd use in this application. And um, looking back, it's like obvious, you know, um, but at the time I didn't really know. I hadn't really, um, I, I never built a, uh, a large multi-phase high current uh, microprocessor voltage regulator. So, you know, what, what was I supposed to know about that? Um, and I think, but, but being exposed to, to, to people in industry through presenting at conferences, you know, you kind of got to get yourself out there. You got to be open to making some mistakes and, you know, making a bit of a fool of yourself at times and be really receptive to the constructive criticism because, um, you know, at the end of the day, what you want to be able to do is <clears throat> increase your knowledge and what you can contribute. And, um, I, I think, uh, those opportunities are really helpful, especially for students, whether it be uh, student competitions, uh, presenting research, um, you know, e even if you don't have the ability to present research, just going to some of these, these conferences in the field, I think, are, are really insightful. Excellent, Pradeep. Hey, um, I'm sorry I didn't, I lost my audio for a moment after you answered your first question. So thanks for that, and thanks for these answers to Arijit as well. I mean, the conversation is going great. I really am so intrigued with your early career as well as your your career now. And so moving on, um, are you able to hear me now? I'm clear, eh? Yeah, I can hear you. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. So, I mean, let's shift gears a little bit here. Like, so when you went to industry, like, what <laughs> do employers really care about publications? Since you talked about papers and, you know, grad studies, we all talk about, yeah, academia, you know, you have to have a healthy publication record to show the novelty of your work and your PhD, et cetera, mm -hmm. which is great. Uh, but, like, do industry professionals really care about that? Like instead, wouldn't they be looking for like transferable skills? Like what are you, your views now being in industry for so long? Like if you were to hire grad students, what are your views on this uh, philosophy, so to speak? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, uh, point. I remember when I was first starting in industry, there was a little bit of a tension um, mm -hmm. because I was working on, on some, you know, advanced uh, concepts and some new technology and being, you know, in my kind of former grad student mind, I really wanted to publish that material. And I was, you know, really pushing my supervisors to let me do it. Um, but there is, I think, you know, obviously the tension in industry is, is they, there's a, it's important to kind of 
um, protect whatever intellectual property that is developed right. by the company. You have to, um, and even if it isn't something that's necessarily patentable, sometimes you just don't want to tip your hat off to competitors as to what, what you may be working on. Um, right. So, so I think that's where the tension can come from. I mean, there are strategies and it, it depends also, I think on the, on the organization, the company that you're in. So for, for some companies, you know, they'll be quick to file maybe patent protection. And then once you have patent protection, then, you know, there's nothing that really stops you from, from publishing. Um, I mean, depending, depending on the company and their philosophy around this, right. So that's, that's one uh -huh. uh, approach. Um, and I, I have seen some companies actually be really adept with publications. I remember, uh, huh. you know, in the earlier days of GAN, there was uh, some uh -huh. uh, GAN companies, I can think of one in particular, that huh. would basically publish app notes as, as research. And, uh -huh. you know, they'd get, they'd get, you know, transactions on Parallelatronics kind of level of publications out of oh, it. Wow. And what was, what was, um, what was, I think, really useful to that company was, they were able to get a lot of visibility within uh -huh. um, not just academia, but also in industry. And right. um, I mean, it's kind of like, it's a, you know, if you can have these different publications, you know, I, I would argue that it benefits the company kind of getting the company's kind of name out and, and visibility. I mean, because um, yes, it's mostly academics that are publishing, but there's a lot of people in industry that, that read these publications. And so you right. can influence, a lot of the key technical leaders. Now, in terms of, is it going to impress an employer what your publication record looks like? Probably not for most. Um, you know, um, they, you know, they certainly in their ranking of skills, uh -huh. uh, you know, they, they want to know your kind of typically your practical hand that's on kind of capabilities. You know, can you, if we gave uh -huh. you a converter and you were testing it in the lab, could you do it? Or, you know, would you, uh, just make it blow up right. in your face or something. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some of those, I think, basic level skills. But, I mean, I would argue um, that having, you know, what, what a publication record can communicate to, it, to someone in industry, a potential employer, I would recommend just highlighting the fact that you can um, do very good uh -huh. um, written communication. And that's wow. helpful not just for, you know, publishing written technical reports or documents, but it's even helpful just um, basic communication of technical content right. with customers or people in a, in a sales role or, or something like that. So uh. um, they may not know the difference between, you know, a transactions paper and maybe a conference paper or something like that. Uh -huh. so I think it's, I wouldn't hide the fact that if you have a, a, a publication record, they just may not value it as, as much as, as in an academic environment. Yeah, that's totally fine to keep it on your CV. It's just for, you know, uh, fresh graduates now listening to you, they'd be saying, like, you know, should we hide it? Well, there's no point hiding it. It's also a healthy publication record. You did your work in your grad studies and uh, you published. So that shows your novelty and it's pure accepted, right? Yeah, and so, I think what you can do is you can you can use it to to sh to demonstrate the skills that you have. Like, right. I built this onboard charger for an uh -huh. electric vehicle, and I tested uh -huh. it for, and uh -huh. these were some of my results. Right, so you can say uh -huh. that demonstrates 
I mean, just like, you, you know, uh, it demonstrates maybe a new concept you're trying to show in your research, but it, it, uh -huh. from, from just an employer's perspective, it demonstrates your capabilities in doing analysis and design, component selection, you know, PCB right. layout, lab testing, right. et cetera, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it all adds up. Okay, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for that answer, uh, uh, Pradeep. Uh, over to you, Arijit. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, uh, probably Pradeep, it's also about communicating your understanding, right? So if an yeah. employer looks at the paper and says, hey, uh, yeah, this is a great, uh, it's a great read. I'm enjoying that mm -hmm. paper. I think that also mm -hmm. adds value, I hope, right, from employer perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and especially these days, you know, I feel like um, academia and industry, we're not so far apart from each other. Uh, I mean, uh, I think, I mean, a good example, onboard charges for electric vehicles. I mean, I've seen several different publications related to that. Also, you know, the team that I work on uh, at TI, we're making onboard chargers. And we have been for, for a little while now. I mean, we're doing reference designs for our customers. But, um, you know, a lot of the content that is being published is, is things that we're, you know, actively uh, engaged in today. So it's not like... Uh, the research won't see the light of day in industry for, you know, five or 10 years. It's um, very much relevant today. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. So let me ask another question here, Pradeep, is like uh, there are two, so many skill sets we are talking about, uh, uh, and I'm sure you recognize the skill set you already had during your undergrad and graduate studies. How do you make sure that you highlight all your skills in your job application and CV without over-exaggerating anything? What is the right balance? Um, so I think it somewhat depends on your experience and what sort of job you're, you're applying for. I'm, I'm assuming that you're looking for an engineering type position where you're going to be, you know, doing something, um, that is, is engineering related. So, um, I think you'd want to highlight the skills that demonstrate those, uh, abilities of yours that are relevant to the job. And I'm, I mean, you can even tailor your, your, uh, um, resume based on the, on the job that you're seeking. Um, you know, if you are, um, for example, trying to join a group that's working on wideband gap materials, um, you know, you can, you can explain maybe you've done a project with, with scan, um, or silicon carbide or something like that. And you can, um, talk about how you, we're able to, to measure some of the high DV by DTs in the switch node, or, you know, you are aware of some of these capabilities, maybe some of the challenges with um, uh, driving these wideband gap materials, or maybe you can, um, you know, um, talk about some of the simulation and analysis work you did ahead of time um, to make sure that your design was going to work as you expected it to. So um, anything that's, uh, I think especially for entry-level jobs, I think um, demonstrating, you know, hands-on technical capabilities um, is, I think, one of the things that people are, are really looking for initially. I mean, uh, I think a lot of non-technical skills are also applicable, you know, like communication, leadership, um, things like that. And they're always uh, important and useful, but... Um, at the, at the at the entry level, you want to make sure that someone can do the work that needs to be done, 
or is able to kind of bridge the gap to anything that they may not know. And I mean, for me, that's one of the things that I uh, really like about um, people that have a, a PhD. I mean, I think one of the best things that I learned when I was in grad school was um, that I can learn anything, um, even if it, even if there's not a class on it, even if there's not um, formal training, like, I mean, you can through the internet learn pretty much anything these days. Um, and there's a bunch of, whether it be white papers or application notes or, you know, YouTube videos on all sorts of subjects. Um, so I think uh, if there's a job that you're looking at that maybe you feel like um, is a bit of a stretch, um, I'd encourage you to still apply. I mean, you never know. You, you, um, the worst thing they can say is no, um, that they're not interested in you. But, um, I, you know, there's a lot of times where people aren't able to find exactly the right fit of, of person. But if you can demonstrate the ability to to um, bridge that gap and whatever skills there, there may be missing, um, you know, a lot of times people are, are willing to, to take a chance on that. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. I think Sheldon has a follow-up question. So, so Pradeep, uh, follow-up to that, like since we are at it, um, like from these skill sets, uh, your answer was awesome. I, I really liked it, but I started to categorize these. Eh? Like <clears throat> like tech, there's, there's technical and then there's non-technical. Let's just mm -hmm. broadly put them in two brackets. And then yep. since you mentioned PhD, and then the industry, which is the theme of today's podcast, obviously. So during your PhD, that's during your academic, there's a set of technical skill sets. And these, I, I would imagine, are specific to your program, you know, the kind of stuff, uh, equipment that you use, um, uh, you know, the conversations you have with your supervisor, et cetera, presentations. And then there's more applicable technical skill sets, like actual problem solving, modeling, analysis, experiments, and then there's the non-technical, which is uh, skills that would be useful for almost every job. Like, you know, time management, collaboration, communications, all of these would fit in this bracket. So where do you rank these? Like technical, academic, technical, applicable, and then there's the non-technical applicable. How would you rank these and why these three skills, broadly speaking? Yeah, so I mean, I think some of the non-technical skills um, they're super important and I don't mean to underemphasize them, you know, being able to right. manage your time effectively, communicate, uh -huh. um, you know, be proactive. Don't just wait for, you know, people to come to you, you know, yeah. those kind of collaboration. Uh -huh. Um, I mean, if, there, there are people on, on my team who may not have as, um, may not have as much technical skills or, or experience, but, um, so, you know, when, when they excel in some of these other skills, they can make a, a, an even bigger impact that, that is right. outsized compared to their technical mm -hmm. ability. So I, I don't want to minimize those. Um, they're, they're incredibly important because those sure. are the ones that I think are also really difficult to mm -hmm. uh, train or teach someone in. Whereas technical mm -hmm. skills, um, they're, you know, they're, you, can, um, you can learn a lot. Uh, and there's a lot of you know training programs and different things that are out there that will help develop right. your technical skills. I think. Um, I mean, there's also trainings for non-technical skills too. But um, sometimes it's those soft skills that that are are, are harder to to um, to really 
call out and develop. Um, hmm. I, I would say though, I mean, from the technical side, there's kind of you're, I think you're saying about kind of more that more academic skills, and there's maybe the more kind of uh, yeah. fundamental engineering skills. So well, I think um, maybe it might help to explain this from, from, with an example. So at Texas sure. Instruments, one of the things that, that and a lot of companies, um, I didn't realize this when I was in school, but um, I thought the different types of engineer were, you know, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, civil engineer, et cetera. Uh-huh. But when you get to a company like TI, um, the types of engineers are, are totally different. There's systems uh-huh. engineers, there's design engineers, there's applications engineers, there's test engineers, there's validation engineers. There's all these different engineering right. roles within a company uh-huh. like TI. And uh-huh. so um, let's say uh, a systems engineer, that's, that's what I was when I was uh, working in one of the product lines. Uh, here at TI. And as a systems engineer, often what you're trying to do is understand the system that the um, silicon that TI is making, you know, whatever integrated circuit that we're making and trying to sell. um, It's, it's, Uh it's operating within some broader system. And um, as a system engineer, one of your roles often is defining new products, like what's going to be in the next generation of products and how are they different and differentiated from existing products and from competition. So I would Uh say that some of the skills that you use in academia, right? So you're trying, when you're a a graduate student, let's say, you're trying to show how your research, how it compares to the rest of the research that's been out there. And, you know, that's where you have the literature review and and you put your research within that context. And you also Uh typically want to show how it's better, how, how it's improved. You know, maybe not in every aspect. Maybe you put together a table and you say, okay, on these metrics, it's better and these, it might be worse. But that thinking, I think, and that mindset is actually really useful when you are defining new products and when you're trying to say, okay, what are, what are right. the existing products that are out there? What does the competition have? And how is what we're going to work on, how is that going to be differentiated? How is that going to be better? How does it compare? So um, I think that skill is actually very transferable. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a lot of times where you have to kind of um, go down – it's not like there's a very clear set path and no one's going to tell you exactly. And just like in, in academia, when you have to look through all the different prior research and, and go through all these different trees of, of references and things like that, you kind of have to do a bit of just hunting when you're uh, a systems engineer as well. Whereas let's say you're more in an applications engineering role, maybe you're uh, supporting existing products that have already been released to the market. Uh-huh. And you're supporting customers. I'd say there you might you might lean a little bit more heavily on your problem solving skills and some of your experimental work because you'll be getting right. all sorts of random questions come in, all sorts of challenging problems. You know, customers using a device maybe in the way that it wasn't originally intended. You have to figure out like, is uh-huh. it going to work, or how do we get it to work, or why is this problem uh-huh. happening? And so a lot of those kind of debug skills are are super important in those applications uh, uh-huh. in that in that in that role, I should say. Oh, very so, interesting. Um, it's difficult for me to rank them. Um, I think it might depend on the role that, you, that you're working on. That's true. And they're kind of interrelated also, as you said. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it also depends on the role and the application. So, I mean, it was a kind of a, you know, like a higher level question. And I think the example kind of helped in understanding for the viewers, for the listeners, I'm sure, uh, that you cited would help. So, so thanks for that answer, uh, Pradeep. Over to you, Arijit. Uh, thanks, Sheldon. So I, I think that was fascinating to hear, and I, I really appreciate Pradeep bringing that perspective of how 
you see the difference between how we teach in, in uh, universities and how, uh, how like, as you said, like electrical, mechanical, and so on. And I was thinking that's that's really true, like how you segregate things in industry versus how you segregate things in academia. But uh, coming back to the skills uh, and a little bit more going into details there. Uh, so you talked about there are so many other things beyond just uh, going through the educational experience and so on. Uh, can you please comment on how you went about gaining additional skills and how do you know what kind of skills for someone like a new graduate student as they're grooming up as they're going uh, through the process how do they know that what skills do they lack like how do they pick them up yeah that's a that's a great question so um i mean i think one of the 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 biggest skills gaps that i had or just maybe general knowledge gap was when i was transitioning from uh, graduate school to working in, in industry was was just knowledge of of the market um, and uh, all, you know everything related to that whether it be the different companies that are our competitors whether it be what are the some of the the key products that are out there um, what are the you know what does the market look like in kind of breaking down the differences between you know um, automotive market versus like an industrial market or a telecom market and what uh, customers are looking for in some of those different market spaces. And, um, you know, another thing that, that I just had no understanding of was just kind of basic, like business kind of math, if you will. Um, there, there was a, a training course uh, that I took early on. I mean, TI has, has training courses and I think other companies do too. Um, and one of the ones that I, I learned a lot from was this uh, course called, I think it was like economics for engineers or something like that, where it was, and it was only like maybe a half a day or, or a day long class where they kind of walked you through um, a quarterly report that, that TI would release and, and how you can kind of read it and understand it. So, you know, what's the, the top line revenue and then um, what is the cost of billing margins? What does that mean? Uh, why is that important? Um, then other different pieces of overhead that are taken out, whether it be R&D expenses or SG&A, which is, you know, sales general and administrative. Um, and, and then how it kind of falls all the way down to what's, what's your net, net profit from, from operations and, uh, things like that. Um, so kind of, um, why, why that's being reported for at least a company that's traded publicly. And then, um, you know, on a day-to-day -day setting, how does that impact what we're doing? So, you know, let's say we're making a new product, understanding the cost structures for making that product are really important because that's going to impact what our, our cost of billing margins can be. And then what sort of pricing that we can sell this product at. So a lot of those sorts of things, um, you know, when you're a grad student, you don't even really think about, I mean, you might look at, you know, what are the one K pricing on, you know, Mauser or DigiKey for the, for the components that I'm putting into my design, you might put together a simple cost table or something like that, but um, you're really not getting down into the details. So that kind of commercial market awareness, I think is uh, one of the biggest things. And I, I mean, I don't know if there's, um, uh, you know, a simple course you can take or, or class. I think some of it you just have to, to be in and, and, you know, read things, whether it be, you know, reading news articles uh, and publications, that, that come through, uh, through, you know, various, um, news sources that are from industry, um, or just talking to some of your colleagues. There, there was one, uh, marketing, uh, engineer in the team that I was working on 
that I you know traveled and visited uh, several customers with him. It was just great just learning from him and talking to him. Um, so I think that's one of the, one of the biggest skills that, that I was missing. I think um, you know obviously there's um, you know interpersonal skills that you'll you'll want to develop and hone um, that that you're not you may not get in exactly the same way in a, a school setting. I think one of the things when I was working on projects as a student is, you know, you learn definitely how to interact with other students and, it's, you know, the, the kind of team, team play aspect is really important. But typically from my experience, all these students, you know, we were working um, most of the time with very similar backgrounds. You know, maybe we were all in the same class. That's why we're working on a project together. Or maybe for some of the um, uh, interprofessional courses, we were at least still working with people who were kind of engineering uh, focused and had that background. I think when you're, uh, working in industry, though, you have to work with people that have like almost no engineering background at times. So maybe someone from finance and operations, or maybe it's someone from like a, a marketing team that's, you know, just does digital marketing and, and they don't really understand what, what you may be working on or why uh, from a technical s standpoint. So having the ability to communicate what you're doing, why it's important, why customers are going to care about it, all those things um, to someone who uh, doesn't have an engineering background can be, can be really helpful. So specifically, if I ask like for students who are right now in grad school participating in these student competitions, then participating in IEEE chapters uh, or maybe young professionals, do you think that can help them to grow some of these skills? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent. I mean, I think it depends on the competition. I mean, I've learned a lot from the student competition I was involved in. Um, there, when I was a grad student, I wasn't involved in this competition, but there were some other students who were the solar decathlon. And that one was a really cool, really big project that, you know, the, the student teams from different universities were making a solar powered house. And there was a lot of really uh, interesting aspects of that. You know, I, I was impressed with what they were able to get done. Um, and that was very interdisciplinary from what I remember. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would, I would definitely encourage, you know, do, um, being involved in some of those activities. Um, I mean, it's also great to be able to speak to them when you're in job interviews and things like that too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Sheldon, here to you. Right. So Pradeep, we are almost uh, coming towards the end of the show here. Just a couple more questions from Arijit and me. Um, let's shift gears. Talk a little bit about interviews. So like when you went to, as a fresh graduate, what would you advise a, a student who's graduating fresh or a postdoc fellow for that matter from academia going for an industry interview? Like, how would you prepare for one? Um, so I would probably start by making sure you have a pretty reasonable understanding of what the group is doing that you're interviewing in. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do a little bit of research on maybe what, if, if it's a company, what sort of products they're, they're mm. uh, developing. Um, yep. You know, be be prepared for 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 technical questions. Um, uh -huh. So, you know, if you're, uh, I remember I was interviewing uh, for a job at a uh, company that was making uh, solar microinverters, and uh -huh. I think they were using, uh, they might have been using like a flyback topology. I can't remember what topology it was, but I hadn't uh -huh. really looked at that topology in a while, and they were asking me some very detailed questions about. Um, how this converter worked, and I was not well prepared for that uh -huh. interview. So, so do a little bit of, um, you know, if, if you if you may be more experienced or focused on a certain 
uh, end application or equipment or topology uh-huh. or control method, and you're really familiar with that, and the company that you're interviewing for, the group that you're interviewing with is very focused on something different, you definitely right. want to do a little bit of, bit of background prep. Um, I'd say that's one of the, one of the key things. Um, and I mean, I think you, you know, you also have those questions and in interviews kind of like, you know, what, what, where do you see yourself in the future? Where do you want to, your career to grow? Um, right. you know, maybe are there challenges that you face and how have you overcome them? I mean, kind of be prepared with some of those, um, Think of what you would say if some of these different uh-huh. questions came up. I mean, you can you can search online. There's a bunch of different sites and and articles on you know what are some common interview questions and and I think it's just helpful to think through how you would maybe respond to some of those those challenging questions. Uh-huh. Um, Definitely. Okay. Interesting. Thanks for that answer, Arijit. Over to you. Yeah, perfect. So probably last question from my side, Pradeep, is uh, okay. So hopefully someone has got a job and uh, he's or she is in the industry right now. What's the next step after joining the industry? How do you build your professional network, or how did you particularly build your professional network? Uh, what role does attending IEEE conferences play in this regard? Because I know for sure you are still heavily involved with IEEE. Uh, you have uh, hold multiple positions in IEEE PELS, particularly. So, h- how do you uh, how do you build your network, and how does IEEE play a role in that? Yeah, um, I, it's a great question. So I think. Um, for me, my experience has, has been fantastic in IEEE and especially in the Power Electronics Society. Um, I mean, I love going to conferences. I uh, especially, you know, um, I'm, I'm pretty involved in, in APEC, the Applied Power Electronics Conference that's uh, held in North America every year. And um, I've been to many other conferences as well. Um, I think for me, going to these conferences, especially these days, it, it feels like a family reunion. Um, you know, I get to see a lot of the same people that I've seen and, and it's, it has that kind of family reunion feeling for me, I think, especially because, um, I feel like I'm with my people when I'm at these conferences, you know, I'm with other power electronics nerds, people who really are interested in the field and I love this technology and the impact that it has on our world and, and the things that we're, we're doing together, uh, collectively. I mean, it's super exciting. I, I, I feel like I get just, you know, these, these shots of energy by going to, to these uh, conferences and events. Um, I remember earlier on though, it was, I think much more intimidating for me, much more daunting. You know, I'd walk by someone in the hallway and be like, Oh, that's so-and-so they wrote this amazing paper or they're, you know, really famous for whatever reason. And um, I think one thing I realized is that um, now that I, have spoken to most of those people that are super famous in our field or have like rubbed shoulders with them in one way or another, like everyone's just a regular person. I mean, there's uh, not, there's not that many that I can think of people who are aloof and um, unapproachable. So I, I would say I'd highly suggest, um, especially for some of the listeners who um, maybe uh, are grad students or, or earlier in their career, maybe, um, you know, uh, get out, go, go to these activities. You can learn so much. Some of it is just by osmosis. Some it, sometimes it's things that you may not uh, feel like is immediately applicable to the uh, problem that you're facing right then and there. But, you know, a few years down the road, you'll, you'll have a different problem that you're facing or maybe a different application that you're looking into. And learning some of those things previously will come in super handy. Um, and, 
having the, the connections to other people, I think is, is incredibly valuable. Like the, the network, um, you know, I'm, I, I think I appreciate the, um, the, just the relationships so much more as time goes on. Um, there's a lot of times where just knowing the right person can save you so much time and effort and grief. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, 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 that, of those sorts of activities. No, that was very, very valuable uh, suggestion, Pradeep. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, I can totally echo with you, like uh, all this COVID stuff is, we are really missing the family reunion. Absolutely. Uh, so thanks so much for answering all my questions. Sheldon, over to you. So just a follow-up there. I was just chuckling in the background because, you know, Pradeep and I last met at an airport. Like, the, the, so I was flying out <laughs> back to Toronto after the conference and Pratip was coming into the conference for an industrial rap session. Was it something like that? And we said, hey, man, like there's so many power electronics engineers that we don't even have to meet at a conference. We meet at airports and offline right. too. <laughs> so right. that just goes to show, you know, the power electronics fraternity, we indeed are a family. Wherever we meet, we bump into each yeah. other, even not, it doesn't have to be at a conference. So, I mean, it's a small world, right? Power electronics is a very small world. And so we feel that that love and the appreciation for each other. Absolutely. It's mutual. Absolutely. So anyway, yeah, I was, uh, I was, Pradeep, yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to add to that. I, you know, uh, I was just on a uh, customer call, I think it was last week. And I talked with someone that I hadn't talked to in a number of years. Um, and it was, it was, you know, it was great because especially when you're in somebody's customer calls, you're, you're mm -hmm. trying to kind of build rapport with the people that you're talking to, talking with, right. but this is like, like instant connection. And so, I mean, yep. having those, those connections is just, it's, it's so, it's so helpful. It's, and it, you know, um, like, like everything else, right, Pradeep, I think it's the trust. First and foremost, before any transaction or any venture, I would say venture is a better word or a collaboration. Yeah, yeah. It's the trust factor. And since we already know each other from, from way back, the, the, it's already there, right off the bat. Yep. So, so yep. you're already there. You're just waiting for, you know, the next step, which is technical, really. You know, and I think you exactly. answered this brilliantly when you talked about the skill set the non-technical skill sets. Mm -hmm. That's why it plays a role. Like for me, uh, you know, when I hire my grad students, I say, okay, you know, everybody knows power electronics. What else can you bring to the table? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, yep. it's as simple as that. I mean, uh, so anyway, uh, you know, like all good things have to come to an end. We are at the end of the show, Pradeep. You know what? Thank you for your time immensely. You have taken time out to do this podcast with us for, for the Pell Society, um, the Educational uh, and Digital uh, Media Committee. Uh, we really appreciate your time, uh, Pradeep. I'm, Thanks so I'm much. Glad, I'm, I'm glad to be here. You know, it's, I, I love what you guys are doing with this podcast. And it's, Thank you. It's really exciting for me. Um, you know, I, I typically like to listen to podcasts as I'm you know, driving to work and back, and that's not mm -hmm. happening as much these days. <laughs> But um, I, I really appreciate the, the work that you guys do to put this on. Thank you. And we're trying, you know, because there's, as we said, there's only so many of power electronics professionals. We're trying to get together, the family together, because now, especially during this time, right? In uncertain times, we can't get to meet each other. At least we can listen to each other, right? And, and what's going on in our lives in, in terms of uh, uh, power electronics in the fraternity. So this is yep. great. And thank you again for your time. Uh, for our listeners, uh, just a short announcement, <clears throat> just, you know, please make sure to subscribe 
to our community on the IEEE Pulse website and leave us a review. We're always looking for feedback from our wonderful and avid listeners. And also, please make sure to visit us online and join our community. Until next time, uh, from Dr. Adijit Banerjee, uh, Megan Chahoki, uh, uh, Pradeep Shanoi, Dr. Pradeep Shanoi, thank you very much once again, and myself, Sheldon, uh, we, we bid goodbye to you uh, till our next episode. Thanks a lot and have a great day. Bye now.